Welcome back to the Master of None podcast, where we go 365 days, bringing you a podcast every single day. Nothing is off the table. The intention of this podcast is to master the short form podcast, as well as informing, as well as entertaining. So sit back, relax, and listen, and enjoy the show. Welcome back to episode three of Understanding Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. If you've listened to episode one and two, you get a pretty good understanding of who Ted Kaczynski was. His force of motivation, the contributing factors to potentially his mental health, and why he did what he did. Within this episode, we're going to get into the motivation, understanding some key aspects of his ideology, as well as going into a little bit of detail about what happened after the bombing. So let's get into it. Known as the Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski. It's mentally disordered. And mental illness is a legitimate mitigating factor. In other news, Ted Kaczynski admits he is the Unabomber. With blood, 23 injuries, and now a third death. These bombs were now getting stronger. The most dangerous serial bomber in U.S. history. Ted, are you the Unabomber? I thought, oh my God. From the time I was a child, I had this realization that my brother was special. The second professor this week is hurt by a male bomb. The bomb was placed inside a hollowed out section of a book. 16 bombs in 17 years. The case, codenamed Unibomb. I asked mom, what's wrong with Teddy? Why is he like this? So whenever, within the last podcast, I kind of uh, just brushed over the initial bomb attacks. And the reason why I did that is I really wanted to get into the why, understanding what are the contributing factors for Ted Kaczynski and why he um, went down the path of eco, eco-terrorism, essentially. And I think whenever we look at the bombings and the locations of it, What's really evident to me is understanding the manifesto in which he was his driving factors really pushed a lot of the targets. Now, if we look at the targets of who Ted Kaczynski was going after, you know, he went after a lot of universities. He went after a lot of professors. He went after computer store owners, which during the 70s and 80s, like being a computer store owner would actually be a pretty big deal because you're ushering in technology. Now, Whenever we get to this point within about 1995 of Ted Kaczynski, what we have to understand is he's been bombing for 20 years. His ideology has pushed him to violence. Now, whenever we look at the contributing factors for terrorism, we have to understand that you can have ideologies. But once you pass the threshold where you act in accordance to kill, maim, destroy discomfort anyone for your ideologies then you are in fact considered to be a terrorist now obviously there's different categories of terrorists from you know right-wing religious um you know all the different different forms and ted kaczynski was not special in necessarily being a terrorist i think what made him unique is he was the the largest serial bomber we've ever seen in history 
he used bombs as a mean and for the longest period of time we didn't really know what what he was doing i mean 20 years of bombing people bombing over i think 23 to 17 people and killing three a lot of this all came to head when ted kaczynski asked to have his 35,000 page manifesto published for the public to see he wrote if this was published there'd be no more bombing now up to this point what had happened is ted kaczynski kind of grabbed hold of the nation there was a security apparatus i think there was probably a task force of around a hundred people or more looking for him so the fbi would offer a one million dollar bounty and at the end of it they would have put in around 50 million in order to find Ted Kaczynski. So it all came to a head. So what happened is Ted Kaczynski um, has been formulating his ideas for the last 20 to 30 years. We talked a little bit about in episode one, how even in Harvard, he kind of started to create these ideology about technology and corporate influence and how this was a lot of the issues within society. I think too, we see the fact that Ted Kaczynski moves out in the wilderness because he's really aware of his condition. He knows that he has some type of mental issue. In a lot of ways, too, in the 80s, he becomes isolated from his parents and brother, and he really blames his parents for creating um, him. You know, he thinks that a lot of his mental health issues is a result of his parents. So I think Ted Kaczynski is becoming really aware of who he is. And if we look at the situation that happened in 1966, where he claims to have wanted to been a woman, and then he had this hard transition point where he was filled with violence. Um, I think that you know where he you know he wanted to create violence and just you know attack anyone who ever created problems for him motivated him to be on the path he was. I think we look at all the contributing factors of his personality, his ideology, beliefs, and being isolated. He started to create this manifesto. Now, whenever we look at this manifesto, what we have to understand about it is it's still being sold. You can buy it for $17 or $20. If you look at the Google reviews on it, it's at 91%. So before we even get into it, it's like this manifesto in itself was really influential in a lot of ways. And it's really the, the whole crooks of what we have for so as we get to this point what happens is in 1995 what ted kaczynski wanted the unabomber was to post his manifesto within a reputable news outlet or magazine and the way the story goes originally penthouse had said we'll post it but ted kaczynski didn't want to do it because he didn't consider it to be a reputable a reputable magazine so what happened is the new york times posted it to increase the chances of getting publicists in some portal so if you have a thirty-five thousand page manifesto and it can be published in something like the new york times from a from a law enforcement standpoint it's really going to work best for forensics to identify if anybody could determine who it is for so long, you know, if we look at the profile the FBI put together for Ted Kaczynski, they knew more than likely he was a white male. He lived in Chicago. He had ties to academia or potentially the airline um, industry, you know, so they were pretty close 
they thought that maybe some point you might have lived in San, San Diego, lived in Salt Lake City, looking at a lot of different aspects of where his bombing and his targets were. Now, whenever we get the manifesto published, it's one that really highlights his his reason. I think whenever anyone read this, and especially if the FBI poured over it, they started to determine what it was. Is It's like a blueprint in understanding why he was targeting who he was targeting. This is the term eco-terrorist that really comes out of it. And, you know, if we think about the Weather Underground, these types of organizations and groups, there's some similar um, features of it. Now, whenever this is published, it's really the beginning of his demise in terms of being captured by law enforcement. Um, because what happens is after this is published, it's a really interesting story that, in fact, his brother David, who have talked about within multiple episodes, reached through the information and he starts to determine certain patterns about the writing and the words being used and some of the spelling, and he, in fact, tips the FBI to the capture of Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. Federal agents have taken into custody a man they suspect as the Unabomber. This drama is unfolding outside the tiny town of Lincoln, Montana, and Tom Foreman is there. Uh, yeah, it is. We're going to be moving people in and out of here. So you're going to step back. Otherwise, going to be in the way when the vehicle comes through. Please just step back. After 17 years of looking, today, FBI agents think they may have finally had a look at the Unabomber. Late this afternoon, Ted Kaczynski was taken from his backwoods cabin, leaving folks in the nearby town of Lincoln stunned. He was just a real quiet guy. Um, you know, he came to town, he never bothered anybody, he never gave anybody a hard time, he was never in trouble, um, never was at the bars, um, just a real quiet guy. And, um, you know, if you had a conversation, it was a real intelligent conversation with him. You know, he's just, just not the guy that I would think would be the Unabomber. So the community he was a part of was shocked. They really didn't know, and they went on to tell that he wasn't really that social. Now, I think what's so interesting about the story is when we think about this manifesto, it really goes after a lot of different ideologies. You know, if we look at what it was focused on is talking about kind of how society in itself is being diluted as a result of technology and that the Industrial Revolution was essentially the downgrade of society. And it's really focusing on some political um, concepts, one of them being leftism how leftism is really, or left-wing politics, is really contributing to the downgrade and how, as a result of being a leftist, there's different things that get fundamentally rolled in as political correctness. He says that's one of the biggest issues. He takes into some um, questionable theories that really today people might view in a certain way, but here he goes into feminism, you know, LGBTQI, the disability, and, and really focusing on those. He also talks about how um, really that as a result of having modern society, modern man is now at a place where they are more, um, they're, they're more miserable than they were back with primitive man. And he gets in these different concepts and ideologies. And tomorrow I'm actually going to have a panel with a group of people talking about it as a show. But it's really, it's really the basis of what he's saying. And it gets culminated and built into a 35,000-word manifesto. And 
I think really if we boil it down to certain aspects, it's just saying that technology is responsible for the downgrade of society and man needs to have kind of a remaining primitive in a way, living like he lived. And if I'm going to get, like, if I'm going to do a psychoanalyst analysis of Ted Kaczynski right now, whenever you look at him, I think really what happens is this manifesto and what he was doing is a representation of not being accepted by society because in some level potentially maybe he didn't success um didn't accept himself it's like you know when you look at him as an individual you could tell he's a recluse he was a hermit he had really strong ideologies and the community were like he was pleasant i really didn't know anything about him but but in a lot of ways i think it speaks to what he did i think the manifesto was in potentially acting out and going through his trauma like whenever you read it you read what he thought, you read what he did. He's saying that he is better than modern society because he, in fact, lives a life of a primitive likelihood. And in a lot of ways, he's probably lashing out because he couldn't make any money. He was smart enough to know that he really wasn't where he needed to be, and he chose a life for 18 years living like this. You know, he would tell the community that he was a Vietnam vet living off a pension, so he was lying. Um, and I think, too, you know, Ted, Ted Kaczynski lived off of his parents, his brothers. They were the one really funding him, and he would do odd jobs. He never really became independent. I mean, he lived on maybe $900 a year is what I heard one estimate being told. And he would have essentially have rice and beans and vegetables, but he didn't, he didn't live in a way that I think would be conducive for happiness. It's like he was surviving. And I think in a lot of ways, this manifesto was something for him to pour his time into. And one thing he talks about is surrogate habits. Now, surrogate habits are formed, and it's really a what happens in society when we start doing them as a means to pass time. But you could say that writing this manifesto, in fact, was a surrogate habit. He was doing it because he's a modern man. But when we break down those concepts, you'd have to read in it. And a surrogate habit can be broken into anything like drinking, working out, playing sports, doing anything that really wasn't focused on the aspect of survival. In a lot of ways, you could look at surrogate habits has always been a part of hum, hum, humanity, going all the way back to the Egyptians building the pyramids. It's like, I think in a lot of ways, there's things that are flawed in this as a whole. I mean, I think sometimes when he gets into talk about community and how the lack of community and, and how technology has created and played a stronger part on people's lives and it kind of gets away from their actual who they are, I think that is true. And it does talk about how in modern society, there is more mental health. Um, issues within this manifesto and he boils it down as sometimes being as a result of not having community but at the same time if we look and i play that interview so you can hear that last woman what she's saying she's reflecting in a lot of ways what ted kaczynski was going through he was never accepted he 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 didn't want anything to do with his parents he moved out to live this 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 lifestyle without um surrogate habits but in fact he was doing surrogate habits so i think in a lot of ways the manifesto motivated him in a way to be an eco-terrorist but i think in a lot of ways he was trying to process what he was going through within society and he thought violence was a means to act out on it and i think it probably gave him a sense of power and control it sounds like he never really had any power and control and he was he was lashing out and it gave him some sense of accomplishment because you know, within this manifesto, he talks a little bit about violence, but he's talking in a lot of ways about certain things 
potentially he went through. We think about what happened to him in 1966 and maybe that kind of contributed to this whole mindset and what was going on. And, you know, he, he talks bad about society using technology as a whole, but but if we look at writing in, in English language as a whole, it's a part of society and technology. And, and he never really talks about that. I know that's I'm out there on a whim right now, but I'm just thinking how it's so interesting to me about this story, how you have such a highly intelligent individual, obviously going through a lot of different aspects of trauma. They create this manifesto and it kind of now is his legacy. This, you know, now that he's gone, he committed suicide last week. This manifesto will be a stamp. And it's like, is this going to be something we see 15 or 10 years now, potentially from eco-terrorists because technology has um, become so strong with AI? You know, are we, are we going to see this movement and is he going to potentially be a spirit? It's like, I like think something like that could happen in an odd way just because of the messaging and how this manifesto still can be purchased. But, you know, I digress. So in summing it up, this is the first time I've ever done one of these micro three-part mini-series. And I just wanted to try it to see if, if you guys enjoy it, if it's something I need to keep doing tomorrow. I'll have a panel of people. I'll have Phil and Goose come on if you're new to them. They've been coming on the show since the beginning. And kind of going over this manifesto, different key points on it, what it meant for Ted Kaczynski's legacy, and just doing kind of a lighthearted analysis of it. I think probably at the end of the day, there's some key concepts people can resonate with, or they may think, and then there's a lot of them where they don't, where, you know, obviously this person was writing out of a place of being hurt and not really knowing and not really having any human connection. And I really talk a lot more about the manifesto opposed to what happened, because I think now as you know, the Unabomber has committed suicide and died, this manifesto is such a key part of his legacy because he essentially gave his everything for it. He, he killed for it. He wrote for it. He gave his life for it. His brother turned him in as a result of it. You know, it's really the key to everything. And if we look at his emotional being, the potential trauma he had, how intelligent he was, in a lot of ways, it seemed like he never really felt comfortable with who he was as a person. And, and so much so that, you know, at the last moments of a life, he committed suicide. So, I think, you know, we know he struggled from schizophrenia. We know he did not want to um, be branded as a schizophrenic. You know, this manifesto was a really important aspect of what he contributed to the world, you know, and he was arrested at 53 years old. So I think that, you know, it's been a really interesting learning about him. I'll have a little bit more analysis on tomorrow's show, but please, if there's any topics you like, just send it to me on Instagram and I'll take a look at it. So thank you so much for listening, and we'll get back to you tomorrow.